You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Today we're going to talk about living the solitary life. Now, when I grew up, my sister uh, graduated from uh, high school when I was just, she's five years older than me, so I was like in eighth grade when she moved out of the house. She went and joined the army, and of course she was in high school when I was in my preteens, so in my elementary and junior high, she was never around. So I didn't really see my sister a lot. My brother is two years older than me, and we didn't get along. He was, uh, he was uh, the wild card in the family, and uh, he was always gone and always in trouble or in rehab. That's no joke. And so uh, he was often out of the house, and I spent a lot of time by myself, and I learned how to play a card game by myself. And just so you could see the cards, I got some big ones, Summer's big ones. And uh, what's the game you can play by yourself? Solitaire, right. And uh, you, that's the joker. You know what is interesting about solitaire is um, it's a game that you can play by yourself and cheat every single game and nobody even know, right? Have you ever, who's, who's ever played solitaire? Just put your, now cheating means you actually have, you know, keep your hands up if you played solitaire, okay? Honest, if you've ever, it, well, let me put it, this, if you've never cheated playing solitaire, put your hand down. Some of you, for real? Is it possible? <laughs> Is it possible? You know, well, electronic. Yeah, if you play on the computer, play on your phone. Yeah, well, I play old school. Old school. And, and then, uh, you know, we like to play games at our house. And um, there's like uh, solitaire on steroids, you know, called Dutch Blitz that our family likes to play, particularly Noel and, and uh, Summer and Nicole, because I'm like way too slow for that game. There's like a, you know, six, five to six people, and they're all playing solitaire off each other's hands. like, and I'm going, one, two, um, and then I, I just like to be at the table, but I don't ever win. But uh, when I was a kid, I played solitaire a lot. I was always by myself. We moved a lot, and I was always having to make new friends, and, and it wasn't until I got older that I really began to truly value and understand a deep, meaningful relationships. Now, this song, One, that we just played, and I played the whole thing because I think it's a fun song to hear, but it also really illustrates what the Apostle Paul says not to do and what not to be like. We're going to start a series called One Thing. Throughout the book of Philippians, there's a lot of ones mentioned, and there's a, a one that's kind of hinted at in the first 11 verses that is one that we're not to have, and that is this idea of isolating ourselves from other people. Now, maybe you guys uh, might, some of you older folks might remember the song, I Am a Rock by Simon Garfunkel. Anybody remember that song? I am a rock, I am an island, and uh, of course they sing it much better. It's a folk song, and it's a pretty song, oh, so just so pretty. Well, are these words pretty? Because these are the lyrics to the song. This is I Am a Rock by Simon and Garfunkel. I have built walls, a fortress steep and mighty that none may penetrate. I have no need of friendship. Friendship causes pain. It's laughter and loving I disdain. I am a rock, I am an island. I have my books and my poetry to protect me. I'm shielded in my armor, hiding in my room, safe within my womb. I touch no one and no one touches me. I am a rock. I am an island. Sounds so incredibly depressing, doesn't it? This is that, that favorite like 
hit song of the 70s and is still on classic radio. I am a rock. I'm an island. Like, I am a rock. Yeah, I am an island. You know, it's a song about isolating yourself. It's a song about don't touch me, don't be around me, I don't want to talk to you, I don't need you, just leave me alone. But that's the opposite of what we find in the scriptures, particularly in Philippians chapter 1. Let's dive in. We're doing an entire book study on the book of Philippians today, the first 11 verses. Verse 1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ. Now, I want, you to, I want to set this up a little bit for you. The Apostle Paul is writing to Christians in the city called Philippi. That's the name of the city. The Apostle Paul planted that church 11 years prior to this letter. Okay? So he has planted this church 11 years ago. He hasn't seen them. But he is currently in prison, in jail, in Rome. So he's writing to the church in Philippi while he sits in a cell in Rome. But his closest friend has come to see him. His name is Timothy. And Timothy's actually going to be visiting Philippi later on. And so Paul is in prison. He's awaiting a hearing uh, from, from a, uh, to appeal to Caesar, which is... It's, it's the Emperor Nero who happens to be one of the most vile emperors who ever lived. He's violent and tortured Christians. And he's waiting in a cell to, to face Nero for an appeal of his arrest. So he's facing the potential of getting his head cut off. That is what happens when you confront Nero and he doesn't like what you have to say. So here he is in prison. Timothy's hanging out with him and he says, Tim, I'm going to pass on some, a letter that I want you to, to visit with them about. So he says, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi. So he's writing from Rome to the church in Philippi. And another translation says, to all of God's saints or the saints in Philippi. I want you to know something. You don't have to have done a miracle and you don't have to have like been on some waiting list for like, you know, 50 years or 25 years to be a saint. According to the Bible, if you are a Christian, you are a saint of God, all right? So this is to all God's saints or the holy people at Philippi. Together with the overseers and the deacons. That means that this letter I'm writing is not just for the people sitting in the pews or the chairs, but this is for the people behind the scenes. This is for the, the pastors on staff. This is for the senior pastor. This is for the elders. I'm writing this letter to everybody in the church. So what we're gonna study over the next few weeks is for all of us. It's for everyone here in this room, um, as he was writing to all of them. Now, again, he was arrested. He was taken to Rome. He was awaiting his appeal. He was writing from a lonely prison cell. He was in house arrest. He's missing his friends. He has nobody. He has no one. But yet he writes with incredible amount of joy in this letter. He writes in this letter, he mentions joy over 14 times more than any other letter in the New Testament as he's sitting in a cell awaiting to see if he will lose his head. How does he find joy in the middle of all it? Well, that's what we're going to find out today and over the next couple weeks. Before we jump in, I want to talk to you about an epidemic that's happening right now. It's an epidemic about solitaire, and that is the epidemic of loneliness. There's a book that came out a few years by a guy named Robert Putman called Bowling Alone. And I want to read some of the stats out of that book. He's a Harvard professor, did a study on the epidemic of disconnectedness. A 25-year study showed a 
a tremendous transition in the way that we are living our life. Here's a few highlights. Playing cards is down 33%. Less and less people are getting together. Playing cards, family are not getting down. And evening with neighbors is down 33%. We're less likely to talk to our neighbor. Who's your neighbor? I mean, if I were to ask you, what's your neighbor's name? You're like, I don't know. He's, he's that weird guy. He's the loud guy. He's the never-at-home guy. He's the medical marijuana guy. I don't know. He's just that guy, and I'm not really sure if I want him to come over. What if he's a serial killer? What if he wants to sell me Amway? What if he's like some Jehovah's Witness who wants to try to convert me? I don't want to talk to my neighbor. Well, you're just like a lot of people who have stopped talking to their neighbor. Family dinners are down 33%. Rather than eating around a table, we're eating food served through a window, looking at media, oftentimes in separate rooms. Having friends over is down 45%. Almost half of us are not inviting friends out anymore. We're not doing anything with friends anymore. The readiness to make friends has even reduced another 33%. Some of you think, man, I would like a new friend. I want a new friend. I just want them to be friends with me. I want them to initiate the friendship. I'm not ready to walk up to somebody. I'm not ready to talk to somebody. I'm waiting for them, you and most people as well. There's also a social isolation in America. A study in the American Sociological Review says that the average American only has two close friends in their life. That's down from three from just 1985. And looking at the rhythm that we're going within 10 years, we'll have one close friend. And within 15 years, it is estimated that most people have no close friends. So me right now, if you were to imagine, who are your close friends? How many do you have? Is there someone that you know you could call right now that will be there for you? The average American has two, and this was written 10 years ago, so we're already at the one and a half to one close friends. Seven billion people in the world, only two people like you. I had a hard imagination believing that, uh, but that is exactly where we are. In, in a little while, we're going to find ourselves just sitting by ourselves listening to country music. Half the songs are sad. Uh, 25% of Americans have no one to confide in. 80% of people say they only talk to their family. And which is interesting when you talk about family dynamics, most people do not get along with their family. Most people do not like talking to their family or don't have a close relationship with their family because we're not having family dinner nights anymore. We're not having family card nights anymore. We're not doing family time together. So if 80% of the people are family that you're only talking to, then who are you really talking to? Many turn to social media, Facebook, or they, they live on other people's lives through Twitter and Snapchat, online communities, chat rooms, blogging, virtual gaming, all while sitting in a room alone. And it's interesting, you'll go out with young people and they'll, you'll sit at a table and you'll see like, like a dozen or a half a dozen or six or even five or four young people sitting at a table and they're all on their phone talking to somebody else because it's easier to talk to somebody else than the person in front of you. So we're escaping to social media because we're having this issue with learning how to communicate with each other. And then some people, they look on Craigslist for those relationships. When I think of meeting people who to give my life to, I think Craigslist. That's what I think. And a lot of people are doing that very thing. I've, I've counseled people whose marriages have been destroyed because of personal, casual encounters. There are thousands of people. This is an actual listing. Look at the personals. It says here, um, uh, Strictly platonic, women seek women, women seeking men, men seeking women, men seeking men, romance, casual encounters, 
this, is, this is what you can find. And there are people, thousands and hundreds of thousands of people in cities all over the United States who are plugging out of real relationships into phony relationships. And then there's the disease of coffee shops. Now, let me clarify. I like coffee. I love coffee. And I like going to coffee shops. But there is an epidemic or a disease of coffee shops that this article explains. It's the socially isolated, lonely people who gather with laptops, headphones, books, and coffee so we can sit with others and ignore each other. It's like, I don't want to be alone, but leave me alone. This is a typical picture you can find on any given day, a room filled with people who say, I don't want to be by myself, but leave me alone. We see it all the time. And then some people, they're like, well, I've just given up on people altogether, so I'm going to pour my life into my pets. And so some people, that is their outlet. They give up on human beings and the relationships and the emotions that, that, are, that it takes, the requirements of building friendships, and they put it into a pet. They get wardrobes, mas- massages, restaurants for pets, jewelry per- for pets. That's a real ad. It says dogs deserve real diamonds. You know what? You deserve real friends. <laughs> you know? I love my pets, but they, they're not a substitute for you or my family. And some of you guys, you're pouring your emotions and your affection into an animal when God has put you in relationship with people and he wants you to be in relationship with them. And then some people think, well, man, I'm lonely because I'm single, so when I get married, I'm going to be happy when I get married. And some of you think, man, marriage is going to solve all of my problems. And you think that somehow, just by walking an aisle, you won't be alone anymore. But I tell you, I've sat across the table and, and sat knee to knee with many a couples who feel isolated and alone in their own house with their own wife or husband. Marriage is not the answer. Some think, well, maybe children will fill that empty hole. I want to give you a heads up, parents. You have children to let them go. You have parents, uh, your parents to release them. There's going to be a day when they will leave you, and that's their plan. You know that. Their plan is to leave you no matter how old they get. They may still be living at your house, but their plan is to leave you. And if we are looking for our children to make us happy, you're looking in the wrong place. A lot of us think our kids are there to fill that void, but they're not there, and they can never fill the void. And some people think, well, even church. Man, if I go to church, maybe church is the answer. If I go to church, I'll be around people. We'll sing some songs. We'll talk about Jesus. But a recent survey says that 42% of Christians feel lonely. That's massive. There's a poverty of relationships in our country and in our culture. It's a cry for community. The Surgeon General came out with a report just a few months ago in 2017, and it said this loneliness is associated with a reduction in lifespan. Being lonely is similar to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Being lonely has a greater impact on your health than obesity. Here's the point. We are disconnected We are distant. We are a people who most of us in the room, at one time or another, maybe today, right now, you're feeling alone. That's where Paul steps in. Well, you're like, like, why do I feel alone? Well, we have a triune God who created us in his image. He is complete in himself, and he does not need us. He does not feel lonely. He doesn't need us, but he created us and designed us to need relationships. This is what happened in Genesis chapter 2. Before sin entered the world, this is what God said. 
The Lord God said, he looked at Adam. Adam had God. Think about it. Adam had God. Some of you think, man, I don't need anybody. I don't need friends. I don't need church. I don't need anything except this paddle ball on this chair. That's a reference to an old movie. Nobody got it in first service either. <laughs> it was from the jerk. You're like, I don't need anybody. I don't need anyone. I just got God. All I need is God. Well, you would think that would be ideal in a perfect world, but that's not how God designed us. Look at this in Genesis chapter 2. Before sin entered the world, God and Adam were tight. Adam had God. There was no sin in Adam's life at this point, but this is what the Lord said. It is not good for man to be alone. So I'm going to make him a best friend. I'm going to make him a, soup, a helper suitable for him. I'm going to give him a person to complete him. Think about this. You think, I don't need anybody. I just need God. Wrong. We are designed to be in relationship. We need each other. I need you. You need me. Through God and through one another, we find community. When sin came into the picture between Adam and Eve, what happened? They hid themselves from each other. They isolated themselves from each other and isolated themselves from God. They felt alone because of the invasion of sin. And that's what happens today. We have selfishness and sinful attitudes and desires, and that sin separates us from God. And our sinful behavior also separates us from the relationships of the people around us. So how can we cure Loneliness? Well, some of you might think, I just need more friends. I need to join a club. I need to be on a sports team. I need to have an activity. I just need to maybe find some people that like the things that I like. See, there's two types of friends. Most friends are through what's known as proximity or affinity friends. The proximity friends are those that are near to you. For instance, a neighbor, those that go to school with you, those that go to work with you. And these are the people that, that you have spent days or time with. And uh, just for a little mental test for you grown-ups in this room, I want you to go home this afternoon, dig out your yearbook, flip through the pages of what people said about you. We're going to be friends forever. And then ask yourself, how many of them are you still in contact with? And Facebook doesn't count. Facebook friends are just numbers. These aren't the people that you live your life with and for and together share the burdens and the cares of this life. See, most of the time, most of those proximity friends, when proximity changes, so does that relationship. And then there's affinity friends. Those are the people that like the things that you like. You know, you like the same kind of music or you like the same type of bands or you, you enjoy the same type of sports. You're on a sports team together or you do hobbies together. These are the people that work out together. You, you, you know, collect Star Wars figures together. You have no girlfriends together. Those two go together. You're also known as the trench coat boys. <laughs> These are the affinity people. When proximity and affinity change, relationships tend to change also. So we can't rely upon those things to fill the hole of loneliness. How is loneliness cured? Well, Paul answers that in Philippians 1, verses 1 through 11. He answers it through gospel partnerships or gospel friendships. Paul has every reason to be depressed. He has no wife. He has no kids. By the way, Paul was married. We know that. How do we know that? Because he was a Pharisee, and all Pharisees had to be married. But by the time he became a Christian, his wife is not mentioned. We don't know what happened to her. She might have passed away. He might be a widower. So here's Paul. He has no wife. 
There's no kids ever mentioned. He has no home. He has no money. He has no church. He's in prison. His friends are thousands of miles away. But yet he speaks with an incredible amount of hope. Let's pick it up. Verse 1, it says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. This is for everybody. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's not his name, Lord Jesus Christ. Lord is his position. Christ is his title. I thank my God every time I remember you and all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you, to them as a church, he says, because of your partnership with me, because of that, I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you as a church will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. For whether I'm in chains, as I am right now, or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how long for all of you with the affection of Jesus Christ. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in the depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ Jesus, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. See, in this letter, he even though he speaks out of a place of pain, he has an incredible amount of joy because of what is known here at the beginning as gospel partnerships or gospel friends, Christian friends, like regular friendships, but only deeper and, and richer and more valuable. These are friendships that center on Jesus Christ. So these are the characteristics that Paul gives us about friendships that are gospel relationships. Here's the first one. He says, grace to you. Every true gospel relationship is a friendship that is centered on the grace of Jesus Christ. This is incredibly important. He was hungry. He was broken. He had been beaten. He was sick. He was alone. And he says, grace to you, my friend. Grace to you. And I love this because gospel friends center on grace, not on what you deserve. He's not paying back those that didn't come visit him. He's not talking negatively about those who haven't talked to him in a long time. He says, you know what? Grace to you because our friendship is based upon the grace of Jesus Christ. And, and I'm not asking anything from you, but I'm giving to you a tremendous amount of grace and forgiveness. It's not about paying back the pain that you caused to me. It's not about what they did or what they didn't do. But it's gracious. This is not karma. This is not an issue of where you're going to reap what you sow. You hurt me. I'm going to hurt you. You just wait. No, gospel friendships are grace-filled. They forgive quickly. You know, when you think of a friend that is a grace, that is a gospel relationship, immediately you, go, you don't go, man, I'm keeping a tally of that. I'm going to keep a record. I'm putting in my journal who hurt me today. That guy at church, that person at work who said they were Christian, they wrote, you know, I'm going to say this, you know, that's, I'm keeping a note of you and you, that look you gave me, <laughs> you know. When they said, shake your hands and you went like this to the other person, I'm writing that down in my journal of offenses. No, a gospel relationship is one filled with 
grace. He received the grace in the life of Jesus Christ. He received it and now he freely gives it. That is a gospel friendship. The second thing, he says, grace in peace to you. And this is what's interesting about this because gospel relationships give you a sense of peace. Now, there's many reasons why he had peace, but this is one of the big ones in this gospel relationship. He was in a place of trial. He was a place in a place of unknown circumstances. He didn't know his outcome, but yet he had peace. How did he have peace in the midst of pain? Because he knew he wasn't alone. He knew that he had gospel friends, gospel partners. He had relationships that were there for him. He might have been thousands of miles away from those that he loved, but he had peace because he knew that they were praying for him. They were believing for him. They were not going to give up on him. They were going to be there for him and that they were believing in him. So he says, grace and peace to you. I'm not alone because I know you're here with me in spirit. Verse 3 says, and I thank my God every time I remember you. This is a great characteristic of a gospel relationship. It makes new memories. Maybe you've been hurt by family or by friends. Maybe you have been jaded by church and you have a husband that, that disappointed you or a wife that disappointed your family, that abused you. And you know what? All your memories are just filled with just, just disappointment and, and regret and distrust. And now you're keeping this, this like peripheral barrier. You know, we have this natural kind of space. You know, I'm particularly one of those people that has like a space barrier, you know, like of a good foot, foot and a half, you know. Don't get too close to me because I just feel weird, you know. But some of you, yours is like, like 10 feet, you know, mentally 10 feet. You're like, you know, this is my zone right here. And you can come in for a minute or two, but leave immediately. You know, we have this, this, this barrier because we've been hurt before. But I love this because Christ-centered relationships, gospel partnerships bring new memories. Some people are like, man, but you don't know my husband. You don't know my wife. You don't know what they've done. You don't know what I went through with my family. Well, you, you know, you meet Jesus, and all of a sudden, through gospel relationships, you build new memories. You build a new sense of remembrance. You don't look back at what the hurt was. You look at the new memories that were produced as a result of a healthy relationship through Jesus. He says, man, I remember you. You know, I, I was a youth pastor. We'd been in ministry 25 years, and I have these, like, photo albums, and I have some in my office, and I have boxes of pictures in my attic, but I have these photo albums, and I'll pull them out, and I'll flip through, you know, 1992, 93, 94, 95, and 96, and, all the, you know, Byron was in our youth group at that time, and John Paul was in our youth group at one time, and I look at these pictures, man, they were young adults and young people. I mean, we're going on mission trips, and, and I look at some of the other people in those pictures. Man, I go, I thank God when I remember you. I just remember those gospel relationships, and we're still in touch. We're still in contact. We're still praying, and now these young men and these young women are adults. They're grown-ups. They're equals. They're friends, and we talk, and I'm like, man, I thank God when I remember you. And I just look through those, and I think, here's Paul. He's looking through the photo album of his mind. He goes, man, I just thank God. And I'm thinking of you, and I'm so thankful because gospel friendships make new memories. And verse 4, he says, in all my prayers for all of you, I pray with joy. And I like this part too because a good, healthy gospel friendship brings joy, true joy. He writes about joy 14 times in the letter to the Philippians. And he says joy is a result of what God brings, but he also here says he's got joy as a result of what his friends bring. And I love this idea of, of our relationship with each other. How could he in his situation have joy? 
because it wasn't based on what was happening to him or how he was feeling, but it was based upon what he knew he had in reality, and that was people and friends who he could count on. See, Christians, we like to fake joy. Church is one of the most fake places you could go to in the given week. You know, you're, you're like the Hulk in the car, get out of the way! You know, and then you come in, oh, where's the bulletins I'm greeting today? Good morning, good morning. And then you're back in the car, get out of the way! You know? And we turn to these, like, beasts in the car or in the home or at our house, and we walk in and, and we fake it. We fake our joy. Hey, brother, hey, sister. You know, and we have this fake joy. It's okay to tell the truth. Nobody said, how you doing? Well, I'm bummed out. You're bumming me out. <laughs> you know, don't talk to him negative over here. It's okay to be real. I think church should be the, the most real place we can be. Because of gospel friendships, we have this ability to be ourselves. You know, you've, maybe you've heard of a book in the Bible. It's a collection of songs called Psalms. Psalms are all songs, and if you've read the Psalms, you'll find that half of them are sad songs. Most of them are about pain and suffering, regret, feeling lonely, but at the end, that glimmer of hope that God has not forgotten him. But a lot of them are just vulnerable, honest songs. There's also a letter in the Old Testament called Lamentations. Anybody ever heard of that before? It comes from the word lament, which means to mourn. It's a sad book. It's about the pain and suffering and all the trials they're going through when they feel like God is not close to them. And then you have great letters like prophets like Isaiah. May a prophet, Isaiah, yeah, but if you read Isaiah, half of it's a sad letter of his pain and struggles and his feeling isolated and alone. Jesus, one of his many names, he's called the man of sorrows. What a beautiful picture of Jesus who identifies with us. Ecclesiastes tells us that there is a time to laugh, but there's also a time to cry. There are times when we need to be open and vulnerable in ourselves. Romans 12, 15 says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Guys, listen, the great thing about gospel relationships is that they're not fake. Don't fake happiness because joy includes pain, discomfort, and difficulties. And that's why the apostle Paul was able to say, I might be in chains, but I got joy. I might be going through a terrible situation in my life. I'm not going to deny. I'm not going to fake it. I'm not going to pretend that I'm not looking at possible death. But I tell you what, I've got joy because I know you're with me. My gospel partners, my friends, I know that you are with me. Gospel friendships are not fake, but they lead to real joy. What is joy? Joy is the celebration of the advancement of Christ. And we're going to look at this in the next part of chapter 1 next week. But I want to mention this. Paul says, I may be alone, I may be hurting, I may be suffering, but I know this. The gospel is going forward, and that brings me joy. That's how you can find joy in the midst of every situation. Because every situation is an opportunity for God to show himself and advance his kingdom through your circumstance. The Apostle Paul understood this. He knew he had friends. That's joy. And that God was being lifted up. He says joy. Here's the last characteristic of gospel relationships that Paul gives us. In verse 6, he says this, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. He was referencing church, Philippi, you, 
have been such a blessing to me and what you have done because of what you've done. I'm confident that God will finish this great work in your church. But here's the great thing that also applies to us as individuals. This is a gospel friendship. It means this, that it keeps a hopeful persistence. What that means is you don't give up on each other. And this is the beautiful thing about a true gospel friendship is no matter how far you run, no matter how crazy you go, no matter how many dumb things that you participate in, no matter where your feet take you, where your hands are put to do, I will never give up on you because Christ never gives up on us. And he says that is a beautiful picture of a gospel friendship. It's a perseverance. With that in mind, he says, man, I will not give up on you. God will never leave you. You can persevere because he's persevering for you and with you. God is not finished with you. He will finish what he started, and I am not finished with you. You see, no matter how far you run or how many times you miss, we'll, you'll, still be, you'll still be called. Somebody will still care. Somebody will still reach out to you. And when you come back after a season of running, you will be welcome. You will always be welcome. You will never be judged. You will be loved. Because I'm not giving up on you. Because the Lord has not given up on you. He who began a good work in you, he will finish it. For those that are truly his, he will finish it. So what a beautiful challenge for us as believers. What a great motivation for us. It keeps a hopeful persistence. Paul explains in 1 uh, uh, Philippians Chapter, uh, chapter one, verse, Philippians chapter 1, verse 7, he says, It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. Everybody say, I have you in my heart. I love that. I, mean, I got you in my heart, man. That word heart, by the way, is not what we think of heart. It's actually <laughs> the, the biblical word for heart is bowels. And I have you in my bowels. I'll keep you in my bowels. What it means, it doesn't literally mean your bowels. It means like the innermost part, the deepest parts of you that make you go, I love you. You're in my heart. Man, you're inside. And I just, I just love you. You're deep. You're meaningful uh, to me. He says, I have you in my heart for whether I'm in chains, where he was at at the moment, or defending and confirming the gospel. That's traveling and training disciples. He says, whatever it is, all of you share in God's grace with me. He says, I never feel alone. I know we are in this together. We are bound together by the gospel of Jesus. So here's what I want you to do. We're going to wrap, uh, we're going to go in a different direction. We're going to do this next part rather quickly. I want you to think of someone who you consider a gospel friend, a Christian friend, a true Christian friend. Not a Christian who's an acquaintance, but I want you to try to find or think of somebody in your mind. And we're going to take a little test to see if it is someone who truly is a gospel friend. And if, if, if it doesn't pass the test, and this is a challenge for you to really reach out and step out of your comfort zone and begin to develop gospel relationships, okay? So how to know if you're in a true gospel relationship? Here's the first question is, or, or the first statement, that in that friendship there is a deep longing to be around them. Paul says this in verse 8. He says, God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. He was once a ruthless man. Now he cares for the people he used to persecute. He does not just put up with them, but he loves them and he misses them. He loves the friendship. In fact, he says, I have you in my heart. Guys, listen, this is a great sign that you are in a healthy relationship. You just, and I'm not talking about like, you know, you can feel this way in an unhealthy you too. So there's more to this. But a good indicator first is that you just, you miss them. You know, you want to be around them. 
When you think of your Christian friends, it's not like, and those Christians are nuts. Get me out of this church. You know, I can't spend too much time with these people. Get me with normal people. You know, if that is the situation, maybe you need to check your heart and your relationship with God. Because when you meet someone who's a Christian and you're a Christian, this is what's beautiful about church. In this room are all kinds of people from different economic backgrounds and social backgrounds and ethnic backgrounds. And there's different people here who who have different music styles and likes and clothes style. And there's people here, maybe when you're in school, you were the freak or the rocker or the heavy metal kid or you're the geek, you're the nerd, you're the athletic, whatever. But when you come to church or when you come to youth group, what's beautiful about it is that we're family. We're all family. And so it doesn't matter, you know, who you are, but when we're in relationship with Christ, man, I think about you, and I can't wait to get together with you. Man, Sunday is something you look forward to. It's not something you regret or something you despise or something you force yourself to go to. When you're in good relationships, man, I can't wait to get there. I can't wait to get to Life Team. I can't wait to get to my small group because that's the place where I get to hang out with those other gospel friends of mine. Man, I'm getting beat up emotionally every day at school or at work. All that negativity, all those harsh words. All that judgmental attitudes. But man, when I get around these other gospel friends, these other Christian friends, man, I feel encouraged. I feel like I have life given to me and I belong to be with them. Here's the second indicator is there is a commitment to pray for them. He says, and this is my prayer, verse 9. This is how you know you have a healthy gospel friendship. In Christ, you go from narcissistic to the needs of others. Prayer is not just something we say we'll do, but something we actually do. And when you're in a good gospel relationship and people give you an honest answer to a how are you and they give you a real need, you don't go, man, I'll be praying for you, man. No, you actually pray for them. Maybe you put your arm around them at that very moment and you believe God with them and you encourage them and you love them or you just listen to them and then you pray. Because that's what true gospel friendships do. We don't talk about it. We do it when it comes to prayer. Here's the third thing. He says that your love may abound more and more. And I like this one because a true gospel relationship, this is the test on if you're flying solo or not, is that there is a desire to increasingly show love to them. The longer we walk with Jesus, the more loving we become. When you know Jesus, you seek to show that love to others. And when you are in a good gospel friendship, you think, man, how can I love on this person? Maybe a phone call, maybe a text, maybe a card, maybe a letter. Maybe, the, maybe I can just take them out to lunch. Or maybe I can just show up at their house and give them a little gift and not bother them, but just let them know that I love them, treat them, honor them, serve them. You see, a good gospel relationship makes you feel richer as a person, because the other gospel friends you have are pouring into your life because you're pouring into their life. It's very reciprocal. A good gospel relationship is like, how can I love them more? It's not how can I avoid them more. It's not how can I stay away from them more. How can I spend the least amount of time without losing my mind relationship? But how can I love on them more and show that I love them more in a healthy, godly way? That's a good gospel relationship. And then this, verse 9, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. And this is the next indicator is that there is a drawing to know God's word together. 
And I love this part. Is this is really what separates a lot of Christians from their regular friends that aren't Christians. Is that there's a desire to know God together. That means you, you can't wait maybe to get to your small group or get to that Bible study or meet with a friend and talk about what God's doing in your life. Maybe to, 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 to discuss what God is speaking to you about. You're challenging each other in God's word. You're helping each other to read more or to study more or to memorize just one verse. Maybe some of you guys aren't readers, and that's okay, but you can take small steps to know God better. And good gospel friends, they're excited about that. They challenge each other to do that. They encourage each other to do that, to live it out and to sharpen each other. The Bible says iron sharpens iron, and that's what happens in good gospel friendships. And here's the result. Verse 11 says, here's the result. Here's the fruit. And when this happens, he says, you're filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Here's the result of a healthy gospel relationship. The fruit is this, a righteous life. Let me explain a little bit about what that means because there's a lot of misunderstandings about what the word righteous means. There's two types of righteousness in the Bible. There's what's known as imparted righteousness or imputed righteousness, imparted righteousness, and practiced righteousness. See, the imparted righteousness is what's known as the great exchange. It means Jesus takes my sin, I give it to him, and he gives me righteousness. He makes me right with him. He lived a life I could not live to die a death. I should have died to rise again to give a salvation I could not afford. I give him my life and all its faults and failures and insecurities and disappointments. I say, Jesus, here's all the ugly stuff, and he gives me all the beautiful stuff, his righteousness. Here's my sin. Here's my holiness, Jesus says. And in Jesus Christ, I am parted and made righteous. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are righteous. I'm not just talking about righteous, dude. You know, I'm an 80s kid. There's still words I use. Righteous, dude, is one of them. And that's not what I'm talking about. God gives you holiness. You are holy as a child of God. You are righteous. I stand righteous before the Father through Jesus Christ. And if you're a Christian, so do you. And then there is practice righteousness. This is what Paul calls the fruit of of righteousness, the stuff that drops off the branches of our life. He says, from the inside out, we mature in the gospel, and through the Holy Spirit and through godly friendships, we have new desires, we have new actions, new attitudes, and there's a new power in us, and we live with a new community, and we walk a new life in righteousness. See, here's the deal. You know what it's like. When you hang around certain types of friends, you become the type of person you're not very proud of or happy with. Maybe there's certain type of friends that lead you in directions and go to go places and do things that you know you shouldn't be doing. But when you're with them, they, they point you in a certain direction, and that's who you become. But when you walk with good, godly, healthy gospel relationships, they help you and point you to walk in a direction that you should go as well. And the result is a righteous life. The fruit that drops off the branch of your life are righteous or right actions and holiness and that you live a life that's blameless before the Lord. You are holy, now be holy. You are righteous through Christ, now live righteously through Christ and through godly relationships. Paul says this, with godly relationships, I pray that your love for each other grows more and more and that through that relationship with each other, you will grow in understanding and insight and discernment in God's word. See, the result 
is a righteous life. Not just right with God, but a new life to live before God righteously. Why do we do this? Verse 11 says, it's all to the glory and praise of God. That's why we do it. See, through the gospel of Jesus, we are righteous. But through gospel partnerships, we grow in righteousness. It's time to stop being solo. Your life was never meant to be a solo event. At least be a duet or an ensemble. (laughs) Solitaire is a fun game, but it's not the way you live your life. It's not what God has designed for us, and it's not the way you've been created. I want to end with this thought here. Some of you are thinking, well, you know, earlier you were talking about loneliness, and that's me. I feel alone. I feel distant. I'm in this room with people. I'm sitting next to people who know Uh, who know me and I love them, but I still feel alone. And you wonder, does Jesus really identify with my loneliness? He does. He does, absolutely. Hebrews 4.15 says that Jesus identifies with all of our weaknesses and struggles and trials. He faced all the same temptations and weaknesses that we have, though he never sinned. In Matthew and in Luke, it says this, that he was often led to a lonely place in the spirit where he withdrew and was often alone. He also found that his family and his friends deserted him. And at his greatest moment of need, even the people who he poured his life into ran off and left him alone. Even on the cross, he died alone as he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken? Jesus identifies with your pain, with your suffering, with your loneliness. The remedy to that loneliness is twofold. Know Jesus and know true gospel relationships through Christ. Both of them together will remedy that loneliness that you have in your heart. See, Paul, he loved them. He missed them. He thought of them. He prayed for them. He was thankful for them. He had deep, meaningful gospel relationships, even in the middle of a painful situation, and so can you. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that you are the giver of hope and life. God, I thank you, Lord, that sometimes you take people that are unfriendly and you turn them into wonderful, beautiful friends. God, I thank you, Lord, that in this room there's a variety of people from a variety of backgrounds and circumstances, and we are friends. And God, we love each other. And God, we're growing in what it means to be a good friend. God, thank you for for Paul's example of how we can be good friends and godly gospel friends with each other. God, let this year of 2018 be the year that we step out of our comfort zone, we step out of our isolation, we step out of that selfishness or, or that fear of friends, and we step out and we initiate new relationships in Christ. God, let this be the year where loneliness is put to death in our life. Some of you here are afraid of friends. You have a fear because you've been hurt in the past, and you don't trust people. We just take a moment and just talk to Jesus about that. You say, Jesus, you know, I'm struggling with trusting people. Go ahead and talk to him in your own words. Just tell him, Jesus, help me to have the courage and the boldness to forgive and to step out 
as Jesus, you have forgiven me, Father. This grace that I have received, Jesus, through the cross, God, help me to extend that grace. God, I pray for those in this room that have a fear of friendship. God, I pray that you would let them know that in Christ, you are a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And you are the one that enables us to be a friend. God, there are people in this room that need a friend. God, let this be the year that we meet them and we grow together in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.